When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Minnesotans in unison enjoy all this great state has to offer during the summer. From Niagara Cave to the Lake of the Woods, it's great we can experience a state so rich in landmarks, landscapes, art, and adventure. With so many adventure options, we were thinking, why are so many Minnesotans limiting their options for insurance for home and autos? Today, 80% of Minnesotans have their insurance with one agent who has only one company. That means no options. At the Canterbury Group, we offer you more than 16 companies for your home and auto insurance and 40 professionals to do business with. So as your needs change, we have options that continue to provide you with the best coverage for the best price. You wouldn't want to fish in only one of Minnesota's 10,000 lakes, and we don't want you to be stuck with only one insurance company. Visit thecanterburygroup.com or call 800 800- 967-3389. Get many insurance options today. Always fun. Crazy. It's painful, but it's wonderful. What is the name? It's Roycey Unchained. All right, Patrick Roycey, what's on your mind this Monday? Uh, I was surprised that you were surprised to discover yesterday that Herbie uh, Cardinal told you what time the plane was arriving every time that he signed off because Kathy was listening and this was to tell Kathy when to pick him up at the airport. I had no idea. I remember him always saying <laughs> always had yeah, it. Will... And it was like he was calculating it too because oh the traveling secretary would tell him when the plane was going to leave and then they he'd have flight time. He'd have to do the bath on the flight time and then he had to add like 10 minutes. But it was to tell his wife, Kathy, what Time the plane was when arriving. You, when you tweeted that, I remember that very vividly. Yes, him saying, you know, the twins will be getting back to the Twin yeah, Cities yeah, about 5.05. Yeah. Five, yes, yeah. right. Yeah. I never knew that was why. Five, I just sort of accepted Kathy it. Kathy was listening to the game, and she had him oh, uh, tell her. Because otherwise, you know, no cell phones. Yeah. Otherwise, you would have had to get to a pay phone or some damn thing or have some kind of a phone call. So this was, uh, this was the way of communication. But... Oh my God! Your your uh, surprise at this got me thinking about what this organization was like <laughs> in 1974. Now this is year 14 uh-huh. of my first spring training, so I can only imagine how small and cozy everything was before. You know, like in the 60s when they first came here, but in 74. Uh, it was, I put my arms out like this. It was like this. There was like 30 people uh-huh. and then they had their wives and the wives and most of them had come to spring training for no reason. Just, and the wives would be there and they'd all be down at the pool and you knew who all the wives were. Right. And the wives would be down there telling, you know, Telling tales about everything. If you wanted inside information on the organization, go down and eavesdrop at the pool. And Kathy knew all. Kathy would have been the greatest blogger in the history. Really? In the history of the twins had she. She knew all. She sat down near the wives. She didn't sit with the wives, but she sat. I remember at the Metrodome where she she sat. sat near the wives. Yeah, I remember that. And overheard conversation. If you wanted to know who was having marital problems, you could go to, you know, you you did want to know. But if you did, you could have gone to Kathy. Oh, wow. But I was thinking about spring training in 74. Mm-hmm. The twins would have 20 people there from Minnesota. 
this was still before flying was deregulated. It was too expensive. Mm-hmm. So, and then they'd have the fan in the stands group from CCO where the average age was older than me now, right? Yes. And that was about 40. Hey, we had a pretty good crowd. And they would tell you, like people, Jimmy Robertson, he was down there, Billy. Uh, and they would tell you, yeah, the fans in the stands are coming Friday. Like I was going to be excited about this, <laughs> this or something. But as far as the fans who came from Minnesota, yep. there was you, they knew who they all were. You know, like Collie Anderson was a famous Twins fan. Collie was a old guy from St. Paul, I believe, maybe Minneapolis, but he was at every game and in the in the the room down there. What was the the Minnesota? What was what they call the room? The um, at the Met, the or Met, where? Met downstairs. There was the Twins room down there, but the room that the public I don't could remember, get but into, I, yeah, yeah, there was a room, and Collie was in there at the bar every time. But you know, you'd be walking around, and Jimmy'd say. Collie's coming to town. Collie will be here Friday, you know. And then Collie was two weeks. Collie and his wife would be there for two weeks. They'd know where they got. And you'd see somebody at the ballpark and you'd say, hey, Jimmy, who's that? And they'd say, ah, they're from, uh, they're a couple from Swanville. They drive down here all the time. Uh, They've been coming. Bill and Judy from Swanville, they'd come down here. They stop on the way with visit friends in Indianapolis. They know who they, where they stopped, who the hell. They knew everything about these people because there were so few of them. Right. Nobody ever came to spring training. The, the concept of spring training yes. trips, nobody had that. The only, because nobody could have, you know, flying was probably 350 bucks then, which is 1200 today, right? Mm-hmm. So nobody ever flew down. And then when you got there, you know, yeah. A lot of them stayed at the Twins Hotel, which originally was the Kaler uh, when I was there. But before that, it was uh, a court of – and then they stayed later. They moved to a bigger place out more out in the country, the Court of Flags. And it was bigger and not as intimate. But the Kaler, you know, the bar was down there and everybody – that's where everybody congregated at the bar. And, uh, you know, it was, you know, the – not only did the team officials stay there, right? The players would the players would scatter around. Most of them would rent something, but but the fans would, they'd get them rooms when the fans showed up at the hotel. For the most part, if they wanted to, a lot of them would find a cheaper place to play, or they'd have uh, stay, or they'd have friends who they'd made that they would stay with at their house. But it was it was it was unbelievable. They, I was thinking, the the whole mass of humanity surrounding the twins, then counting the wives, was like eighty people, you wow. know. And now you, uh, you know, you have hundreds. Well, look at the marketing hundreds. departments now. Yeah, but I don't know anybody. Yeah, I don't no. know. Any, I don't know any of the analysts or anybody yeah. like that. And they don't want you to. By, by the then, way. I knew who the hell. Back then, I knew who the fans were and what the wives' name were, yeah. and all the wives. We knew all the wives, and the wives were. Uh, they'd be down at the pool, and you know, some of the wives were like sixty years old, but they would be sitting around talking about this gentle lunch they were going to have because they were watching their weight and, you know, everything. And then they'd go out and had 12 drinks and a steak some damn place at night. But they were all, lunch was always going to be a little, a little dainty. I overheard this a few times because back then we occasionally, we wouldn't go to all the road games. There was three of us, me from St. Paul and then the guy from the Star and a guy from the Tribune. And, you know, if they were going to Fort Myers or something, it was like, it's an ungodly four-hour trip. One of us would go and call the other guys with quotes, you know, to, and then they, they'd do the same for you if you didn't want to make the road to Dunedin, which is to get to Dunedin back then took days because of the traffic. <laughs> You've been up at oh, Dunedin. The oh, God. Still well, stink. back then, I can't imagine. Oh, yeah, no. there was nothing back then. It was gravel roads. But, but the Griffiths loved Orlando. Because they went, the family went back to the thirty. The thirty-one or two was their first year in Orlando, mm-hmm. and Calvin told me about, you know, before the war, uh, and through the war, and maybe into the fifties, you'd go a mile out of town, 
and you'd be on gravel roads and sand roads. And they, some of the roads in the back were sand and you'd run into another car coming at you. And one of you had to pull off to the side oh my God. to let the other one through. And there was a, because it was sand, you had to always have a shovel in the back because you might have to shovel yourself out if you were the one who decided to move over. It was like, it was like, you know, you're running into somebody on these roads. And this this was, it was Southern redneck as it gets before Disney showed up. Still, mm-hmm. even, I mean, Disney was just arriving at the same time I did. I think there was 72 or three or something was right. their first year. But they were stuck out there in the, in the country. There was no... There was no, uh, the golf courses, the the golf developments were just starting to be built because it's kind of tied in with Disney. But it was, it, it's, it's, uh, I was thinking about it today. What a, what a world it was, you know. Well, the, ball, to that. the spring well, training ballparks were nothing. Oh, no. You know, God, now you got boardwalks and all this. Digger Field was just, you should, oh, it's, it's a sad thing that you were never there. It was. Oh, I was there. Oh, were you there? Yeah, the old man took me in 80, I believe it was. It yeah. was unbelievable. What, what What do you think? Maybe. There would have been no boardwalk six, there. There maybe was six rows of what they would have considered box seats, maybe five. Maybe, maybe and six, then the yeah. thing, And then about another eight rows of the grandstand. The Up grand, towards the press box. The grandstand. The grandstand. Tinker could have passed for a town team baseball park. Yes. In Minnesota. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And the bleachers there was... And then they built these rattly old bleachers that went down the left field line, but they never needed them. There was, you know, some games there were 200 people, you know. But the clubhouse, Judd, was, uh, if we put these two rooms together and it doubled it, that would be the clubhouse for the everyone invited to the Major for League the entire Camp. Ro- yeah. For the Major League Camp. <laughs> And they had, as you saw, they had Tinker Field to work out, and then they had that half field next door where they could hit ground balls. But batting practice in in the seventies took hours. You know, the spring training before they started playing games. Right. It took hours because you could only you had to want one cage. You could only hit one place, and it was you know now we got now they. You know, they can get through batting practice in 45 minutes if they want to because they got them hitting at three different fields. And those fields had to be absolutely sun-baked because there's no way that George Toma was going picking up rocks in the The field uh, next door was nicknamed Iwo Jima. Iwo, they always said, have you seen Kelly today? Yeah, he's over at Iwo hitting grounders. And they did grounders, and these guys would be going, ah! (laughs) You know, you couldn't get your face in front of a ball there at Iwo. Yeah, and they were they were the other one was baked out too, but they'd put water on that one. But EO was just unbelievable, and Melbourne, which they had their minor <laughs> league team, yep, was unbelievable. It was an old airport uh, area. It was out by the old airport. That's where they stayed in these old barracks that used to because they. In World War II, the people flew in in and out of there, and these had these barracks, and that basically <laughs> where the minor leaguers stayed. But the field were the fields were rocks, absolutely rocks, and they'd be out there and uh, and you know I went over there to see Puck. I remember the first time, and uh, when he was uh, they were talking about this kid, and uh, you know he would have hit nine hundred playing in Melbourne because he could. He could drive the ball into the... It was like AstroTurf, right? It was three times harder than the Metrodome. So where, where was that in relation to Orlando? Uh, it was a ways. It was over uh, two hours damn near because oh, the road stunk. Mm-hmm. But it was right over by Coco. You know, Coco... Uh, which is where which the is Astros? Where Astros played. Okay. And that Coco Beach is where the, you know, I dream of Genie. And that's where Melbourne and... That was the Space Center over there. They were just building the Space Center okay. there. And, uh, yeah... I went over there, uh, and we used to play. Nobody wanted the Astros finally moved to Kissimmee, and everybody was happy. But the Twins used to play them eight times a spring because nobody wanted to go over there. And Calvin would go anywhere if they gave him an extra 50 bucks. And, uh, <laughs> and oh, God, I'd drive you nuts. Driving, <laughs> driving over there. I told you that Mock and uh, I think Bill Verdon was the man. I can't remember who their manager was. It was Bill Verdon. 
It was, uh, yeah, probably. They, you'd get over there, and then Mock and him would play like three extra innings because they wanted some pitchers. <laughs> they wanted, they were looking for more innings. Oh, that's for not what we do They were looking no, for more no. innings no. for the pitchers. And, you know, I've told you about the Cocoa Ballpark, is it was in the middle of the jungle. Yep. And they used to get kids from the area to go out there early in the morning in the dew and chase the snakes back into the, that might be lounge, might be lounging in, in the outfield, chase them back into the jungle. Oh God. So those, those kids, Florida raised country kids, little different attitude. That's towards how you snakes. become Florida man. <laughs> yeah. Right. Little different attitude towards snakes than we had in Minnesota. <laughs> There's a garden. Oh, are you snake. kidding? I see a snake. I'm going the other oh, way immediately. Me, me too. They don't, you know, they they just, you know. They, I don't care if they the bite ones. you or not. I'm scared of them. No, no. Me neither. I, slimy. I, you know, yeah, I have I no interest. to do with it. But, yeah, it got me thinking about how great it was back. And the, and the lunchroom, the cafeteria was as big as this studio. Max, I'm surprised Max, it was that big. And the players ate in there. Oh, okay. and they had a crotchy Russ. What was Russ's last name? Russ was the chief, and Russ would have a couple of toddies. And <laughs> Russ was mean, was meaner than a snake. And they loved to play pranks on him. Blylevin and those guys. You know, Blylevin was a kid. They loved to play. But I remember one day, just to, if you asked Russ for anything that wasn't just sitting out in front of you, Russ would. You know, tell you to go bleep it. Even if you were Calvin, he did. You know, he didn't. He didn't care if you were a play, the star player, or or the owner or anything. It was bleep you, Russ. And remember once, uh, Blyman put a sign up outside right where you walked in. And says, "Ask Russ for a piece of his famous banana cream." <laughs> Banana cream pie. <laughs> and they all came in and everybody like, hey, Russ, I want a piece of that banana cream pie. That's done. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, God. It was great. It was so quaint. And then, of course, the uh, equipment guys who were helping, you know, for the first couple of weeks before the minor leaguers right. got there, went to Melbourne was Hathaway and those guys. Hathaway and what was the other guy? Buck Chamberlain. Were the buck and they were they were equipment managers, trainers. Yeah, they were one person operation. Slap some gauze in that. So you would send your, you know, you were second year player of a number one draft choice would be in Double A Orlando in the Southern League, and Hathaway would be his trainer. <laughs> you know, if they if there was anything seriously wrong, they'd call a doctor. But beyond that. As far as getting you ready for that day's game, you were on your Concussion own. protocol did not exist. <laughs> no, no. You didn't hey, go to the quiet room. Yeah, you get your bell ring back then. It was still, that was the early in the, yeah, he got his bell ring. Yep. That's okay. You know, I think they might add some smelling salts by 74 if the catcher got keeled over. Now, is somebody. that the coaching staff that you talk about that had like two guys or three guys? Well, here in um, Quillacy's. As I say, I took over the beat 74, and Quillacy was, well, it had to be 75, Quillacy's last season, uh, that uh, the pitching coach, Lee Stang, who was a loyal Twins employee, though, but he, Boston offered him money, actual money, you know, like a $8,000 raise or something to become their pitching coach. I believe it was Boston. So instead of replacing him, they made Buck Rogers, who was the Buck, uh, the uh, bullpen coach, Pitching coach slash bullpen coach. He became the pitching coach. And then they had Ralph Rowe was the hitting coach and the first base coach. And Ralph was in his 60s. And Vern Morgan was the third base coach and uh, infield coach. But Vern had had some blood disease, so he couldn't do anything. So, yeah, the only two guys that threw beat. Then nobody went on the road to throw. You know, they didn't have any. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know. At home, at home, they would get some kids, a couple of kids to throw BP. Yep. But on the road, it was Frankie, Quil- uh, Rogers, and they'd get Jerry Terrell to throw some too because he was a utility infielder. <laughs> 
the estimated number of pitches thrown by Quillacy and Buck Rogers that year was 100,000. <laughs> Rocco would not have approved of this plan no, at all. No, he would not have. Rocco would oh, uh, Rocco has, uh, you know, would have. Uh, what I love is Rocco uh, now is complaining because he might have to go to 13 pitchers. Yes. Did you see that? Yeah, we talked about it. With I'm I'm praying that they make him go to 13 pitches, but uh, uh, Calvin in 65, I guess, maybe six. No, when Tovar was a rookie, so it had to be 65 because he didn't, he just was there in, in April and then September. But they, back then there were, you could keep 28 players until May 1st. The reason being you could keep extra pitchers to get them ready to pitch the season. That year, Calvin started with nine pitchers and 19 position players. Who needed more than nine pitchers, for wow. God's sakes? Yeah. So Well, yeah, because they didn't take them out. No, no, they didn't take them out. Well, I showed this the other day to Steve Stone when he was in the press box because he was talking about the way they used pitchers. The 67 Twins, who had eight guys pitch all but 73 innings. They had two lefties, Jim Allen and Roland, who were up kind of alternately during the year that pitched 35 innings apiece. Then they had Dwight Siebler pitch like a, a, a third of an inning, and Mel Nelson pitched like two and a, two third, uh, two and a third innings. Yep. And everybody else was eight guys. Eight guys pitched the rest of the innings. And they played two extra games that year. They had two ties. 67, so they played 164 games, and eight pitchers uh, basically had all but 73 innings, mm-hmm. you know, and we're now going to have a heart attack if uh, if uh, we have to only have 13 pitchers. Yeah, I just, I'm I don't not, understand I'm not thing. saying it was a better way. No. But it was more fun, because you could find out, Kathy, what's going on? She'd tell you. <laughs> He said hello to Kathy. I love the fact, though, that Herbie would announce the arrival yes. time for his own so he could be picked up properly at the airport. Yes, he got. So all the time, I think Herbie outlived Kathy and was still on the air. But uh, Yeah, he did. But until then, if you go back, every – and you know what? I did not know that until Tom Mee told me. I said, for some reason, I said – why does Herbie always tell us what time the plane's coming home? And he says, man, so Kathy can pick him up at the airport. So he'll be getting back around 6.15 this yes. evening. Well, that's like Tommy telling me, you know, that uh, Tommy was the greatest because he knew all the secrets, you know. Oh, of course. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and we would all, you know, I was on the beat. We'd spend all spring. The whole spring was who's going to make the club, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I've told you this story. And then Sid would breeze in the last week. And two days later, he would announce what the opening day roster was. And it piss us all off. You know, we've been, you know, we've been, even Calvin wouldn't tell you, you know. And Calvin was an open book. He'd give you hints and you'd have, and I'd say, it used to drive me, this was 20 years ago, probably. And he says, you guys never figured that out, huh? You got it from Crump, Ray Crump's wife. Sold the sold the uniforms. She sold the names on the right. uniforms, so he had to know a week ahead of time who to have his wife sew the names on the uniforms. So that's how he got it from Ray Crump, and then he then he'd give Crump plugs on the radio. Right, so he would just stuff. get the list from Crump, Crump who was the equipment the guy. Yeah, Crump oh, would. God. He was smart in his own crafty, oh, yeah. in his own crotchety, crazy way. Oh, he Sid was, was smarter than hell. Absolutely. Sid was probably... Uh, so Calvin didn't know how, how Sid got this I idea. don't think so either. No, they just... Because Calvin and Sid weren't really pals, were they? No, Calvin wasn't a big fan of Sid's. Okay. You know. Because when I transcribed for the book, the twin stuff was mm-hmm. uh, not nearly as glowing oh, as some no, of the other no, stuff. No, his relationship with the, uh, with the twins is never, even with the CCO thing and doing the pregames and stuff, Never, it it never hurt his feelings as much when they lost. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. You know, the Vikings losing, go for football losing, that destroyed him. He he was much more neutral about the Twins and the Nor and hockey was. You know, he liked the North Stars, but it was hockey, right? So, he didn't care yeah, much. so he didn't. I mean, it was it was nice if they had a run, and he was buddies with 
you know, Walter Bush and those guys, but it wasn't like in his soul, like uh, football was. And, you know, we didn't, we didn't get them. You know, the NBA was, when I got in the business, the NBA was gone for what, damn near 30 years. Right. So. And Sid had technically not been able to write about the Lakers because he, is that? Uh, legend, yeah, he didn't write about the Lakers because he, White know, Lakers? Because he was making he trades. assisted running the team, although yeah. telling Sid's version is that uh, he he made all decisions. And, you know, at the end, Johnny Kundla decided not to refute him. Kundla and Mickelson had both shake their heads. Yeah. But, uh, at the yeah, but that was but yeah, the twins were always like he was always skeptical of them because well another thing is Allison couldn't stand him, so Allison treated him badly and he didn't like that. And Harmon was not Harmon was polite to everybody, but right. Harmon wasn't giving him any hot interviews or information or anything. So Right. And so it it was not he didn't have that close relationship with the twins that he, you know, where the Vikings were like, ah, well, Max, Max wasn't involved either. Mm-hmm. You know, if Max was involved, then, then it was very important to sit because they went back a hundred years. So anyhow, that was, that got me thinking when you, uh, Oh, the Kathy, old, the old sports days. Oh God. Yeah. Like Al, you talked to Al last yeah. week. Shaver. I mean, that stuff is so fun. Yeah. Well, Albie was, <laughs> you know, sitting there and, I I loved the I was I told you this I guess that I'm kicking myself for never getting in the car with Sonmore and Shaver and riding to Houghton or someplace with them. Oh, How great would have that been? He could have written a, two chapters of a book <laughs> just going up there. Those broadcasts, and, and, Pat. Oh, yeah, with uh, Al kind of being. Objective and Glenn, Glenn cheering mightily and, and ripping and, the officials at every and time. And Al really never had to work with a second guy. I mean, Cannon would show up right, yeah, on home games. Well, he worked right. with Ted Robinson for a couple of years home on game, home games, home but he games. worked alone yeah, on the road. Yeah, he worked. I, I don't think he ever had a partner on radio road mm-hmm. games. And, and then at the end, Norm gave him strength. Ralph, right. He gave him Ralph. He gave him Ralphie. And then, and then at the very end, the last year or two, he gave him some TV games because he, he was so identified with the team. Oh, really? Did they try some to, TV? I can't remember Yeah. In that. fact, the last game the North Stars played in Detroit was Al and Wally. They paired him up on TV. If you look at his bio, it says he uh, did uh, wild games the first year, which is not true. What? He might have He might have appeared. On Al's when he bio? Was, yeah, it says no. He never. No, it didn't. I, no. Said, I said, Al, you didn't do. It. And he said, No, I never did any of their games. They might have. He came into town for the first stopped one. It. Well, they the named, the, named the press box yeah. after him, and he might have hung around. And Bob Critch told me that at one point in time, Al was joining him on like p- part of the broadcast for the Wild in the first year. And Kurtzy told him if you'd like to do, you know, if you want to jump in and do play play by play, he said, I'm done. Oh, with he'd it. get him between periods or yeah. something. But like Al that. said, I'm not doing play by play anymore. Yeah, yeah, he was good. I mean, I. I had him on a speakerphone, and he heard me clearly, and God. his mind was sharp. So, But I, I was surprised he's 96. I thought he was maybe 91 or 2. Yep, so. and he, he actually got out. He was a veteran announcer when he got hired here. Mm-hmm. One story he told me, which I didn't get in because of space reasons, mm-hmm. his dad said to him when he took the Minnesota job, his dad said, couldn't get a job in Canada? You couldn't get a job with an NHL team in Canada? And he said, Dad, there's two teams in Canada, <laughs> Toronto they, and Montreal, yeah. and they've had the same announcer, and they aren't moving aside. Foster they, Hewitt and Quentin they in 1967. Moving, they aren't moving aside legendary announcements to make room for me. So, uh, no, if I want to do the NHL, i got to go somewhere, and Minnesota's as close to Canada as I can get. But it was his dad, as a true blue Canadian, was Funny. Very upset. Oh, why don't you do one of the Canadian teams? And he said, you know, we forget that. There were two. Oh, God, yeah. There were two. Yeah. And in fact. Before that. Vancouver was the only team the NHL added, right? The others came out of the WHA. Winnipeg, Quebec. And Winnipeg, Quebec, Calgary, and Edmonton. Calgary, And Vancouver wasn't, I don't think, joined the league until 1970. Because yeah, Al, Al came here in 67 when they expanded by six teams. So Calgary was lost lost their team and no. then got Atlanta back? Or, no. You know, they, when they, Calgary when they didn't moved, have a team. 
Weren't they in the WCA? WHA? I don't think they were. Really? Oh, Atlanta, okay. Atlanta then had a short run there. Yeah, didn't work. Flames. And like six years in or something, moved yeah. to Calgary. And then they tried them again. And yeah. Then... Quebec was in. Quebec was absorbed, and so were the old Winnipeg Jets. And the this, the our second Flames. Where are they going? I second Atlanta. Where did they go? I can't remember. Uh, they're the Jets now. The so Jets. the Thrashers okay, became yeah, the Jets, are the new uh, Jets. The old Jets are the Phoenix or Arizona. It Coyotes. is amazing that as well as hockey's done in the South, that they went over two in Atlanta, right? Yep, especially the second. Well, time. and the Coyotes are about to play in the Arizona State Building next season, which is going to seat like six thousand. Because they're of their feud with they're, Glendale, yeah, yeah, I think they got. Bo- I think they were booted from Glendale. Well, Glendale's mad at them because but what, they weren't paying their rent, right? They well, supposedly the, that was up for debate, but so they got booted from there. They're going to play in the small building, and they're trying to get land now to build a bigger building. But I don't know what's going to happen. No, they should. There's yeah. something weird there. I don't know why why they they didn't move about five years ago. Yeah. Kansas City or someplace, you know. Or Quebec before the Phoenix is a better market, but uh, yeah, but it hasn't worked. Yeah, it is. uh, I I wonder if they ever got as good as uh, Florida. By the way, Florida's uh, Florida will probably be back to six thousand next year if they uh, get swept by these guys with this club. This is very remindful. Uh huh. Of that great Tampa team that got swept yeah. in the first round, right? Except they're getting swept by a better team in the second round, and I don't, Tampa. I don't know that our old friend Bruno is going to survive this thing. No, they'll blame him probably. Because he said, I, I mean, he came out and said on Sunday, basically, they want it more, which is a big problem in hockey. Yeah. You know, they're getting the pucks, they're doing this, they're doing that, and we're just not. I wouldn't agree with that. I would think that it's just you got to, you got that team is now crusty. Yep. Tampa Bay well, is retooled. now crusty. Yes. You know, they, they, they got, lost to they Columbus. Got, they got Corey Perry, do they? Yeah. yeah. He's Where, phenomenal. When did they get him? Uh, he bounced Halfway from, through the year? No, what? no, no. He signed, uh, I believe he, he was a free agent after last year. So he, he's been to the Stanley Cup final now. Dallas, um, they lost. Montreal, they lost. Mm-hmm. And if, if Tampa goes back, third mm-hmm. consecutive year. Yeah. Well, they, uh, you know, they just, got bigger. They're, they're just. They changed their whole approach yeah. from being this high, one of the yes. most high-powered NHL teams in history to they're now mean. Mm-hmm. So, but mean yeah. is what you need in the playoffs. And uh, but the coach of is the coach of that great team, offensive team, still their coach, John Cooper. He's still yeah. there, right? Still there. He's he's had a pretty good run. He's been it's a really good run. They never fired him, and when they were one-time coach of the Green Bay Gamblers of the USHL. Right? All right. Well, anyhow. So, uh, uh, that's, anyway, that's, that's our thing. Uh, as far as the, uh, twinks on the field, that was a nice win yesterday. That was a nice comeback, yeah. And I cannot, this was one of the days where I'm not upset about Buxton and Correa and those guys not playing because Sunday, it's the week, TK and then Gardy taught us. The Sunday lineup. Well, and Craig right? did pinch hit. So they yeah, got Craig, him off. Yeah, they put him on his feet. They put him on his feet to pinch hit, they, which was uh, which was amazing. Straight him up and put him on his feet. Apparently, he doesn't need the warm-up that Buck needs like eight, nine hours to get ready to play. <laughs> but but as I, I said on Twitter, the only guy missing is Jeff Rebelay. Where's I Reb, saw, man? Yeah. Where's Reb? Yep. Reb. Mike Redmond catching. Yes, Mike Redmond. Reb would play. Shorter second. Reb would play... 35 games a year and 26 of them were on Sundays, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was a Sunday shortstop and, mm-hmm. or someplace in the infield. Great guy, by the way. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, we, we, we are used to around here the, uh, the, uh, idea of, uh, Sunday lineup. So, but that Sunday lineup looked pretty pathetic for seven innings and that singer was real good. He just rolled yeah. through them. I wasn't watching all of it because I was watching a lot of golf. I didn't see the rally because I gave up on them and was watching golf. So and then I looked at my phone. It was said, a boom, boom, boom. What thing. happened? And Dick got excited and I thought, Dick, calm down. You're getting too excited. And then sure enough, they yeah. just kept hitting. Yeah. The, the bullpen blew up. There was yeah. bullpen. Absolutely. And they blew got. Up. Uh, they brought in different guys. They, got, they got some. Uh, 98 mile an hour guys. In you that know what, though? Too. You know where you're right going back now two years, three years? 
arise at first base and just playing, okay? Yeah. But when when you said when they were swept by the Astros, your point was they are not athletic at all. Like they yes. just come to dead halts. You know, Sano mm-hmm. ends things. Yes. Um, they now have the ability with what they're doing to continue to move the lineup. Yes. Yeah. I'm not saying they're great yeah. Yeah, but athletically, they they but it's better in, than that they was. They don't run into the, uh, the automatic out. strikeout. Yep. Yeah. Which I think just ends things. And, all right, it's first base. I don't care. You know, I keep, you know, I read, you know, Suen's column about how Morneau can tell you what, you got to be an athlete to play first base. Yes, you do. I, I mean, it's it's nice to have a great first baseman, right? Yes. A really good. Yes. But you don't need one. You know, it's the fat guy's position. Yep. And Miguel Cabrera, when he couldn't well, play third, they moved him. I mean, that's where you put guys who can't move, right? And Rise is fine, though. And Rise is fine. He's, he's fine. And, and he, you know, he's, you look at him and you get this idea he's short, but he's about six foot, almost six foot. He's he's taller than you think I think it's because he's stocky. Yeah, he is he's stocky. He's a stocky and guy. He, and, it's, and the way he hits. And, uh, but he's so, bad at third base. I would far prefer him at first base. Yeah, well, well especially, base, with, especially with the other guy playing third. Urschel yeah. is, yeah, he's fine. But I, I mean, like the fact that they now have some guys that can that can actually play the game and don't just stand there. Yeah, well, the infield is, yeah, I mean, Urschel is not a speed demon or anything, and neither is a rise, but they're, athlete, they're athletic yeah, they and, uh, you know. And the outfield, when either Buxton or Celestino is in center field, is fine. And, uh, you know, Kepler's good in right field mm-hmm. where he belongs. Mm-hmm. And the and uh, and you know left field is Larnix and Larnix okay and uh, whoever else is playing there is okay, but Agreed. there's this thought that uh, if uh, uh, when they add if they ended up adding Kirilov that they might you can't Celestino's got to be in your club even if he's not a hit or not because yep. you need need him to play center field three days a week having that having. The tradition used to be center field, shortstop, second base, catcher were your defensive positions, right? Well, short with the shifts and stuff, center field is way more important than shortstop is now and and Mm -hmm. second base. But next year, if they get rid of the shifts, then you're going to have to have an athlete at shortstop again who can make the play in the hole. And you don't see the play in the hole anymore because the guy's standing in the hole, right? Right. You know, how many backhand throw to first do you see? Not very many. But you're going to have to see him next year because you're only going to have two guys over there. So, yep. And if it's a right-handed hitter, uh, I, they'll shift them to some degree, but you can't you can't give up the middle of the field. So do, do we think the rule is going to be that you have to be on the right side of the correct side of your base and you can't be on the grass? Is that where we're we going? We don't know if the, the, the grass thing is going to be I don't very care about interesting. The, I don't care about that. No, if the second, I care more I mean, about being on the correct side the of the second base. second baseman were playing 30 feet out on the grass when Ted Williams was playing. Absolutely. They just didn't leave shortstop open. Yep. You know, so uh, and they had shifts. I, I don't mind that, but I, you know, I it, if you get to see shortstop make plays again, that'd be good. So, yep. And by the way, prima facie evidence that Royce Lewis shouldn't be moving around, right? I saw your tweets. And yesterday. He's got six yesterday, hits. Down. Yesterday, shortstop, he was three for five. Yep. Three for three the first game. He's six for eight playing shortstop. He's 0 for eight playing the other places. Mm-hmm. So he can't hit when he plays other places. He's got to be at shortstop, else he can't hit. It's, it's the evidence. So that's it. The evidence. Well, then put is, him back at shortstop. The evidence is right there. But what they're doing still now makes no sense. What having no well, moving him around? Yeah. The only thing that I would go along with is what you said, which is if he's going down to play short because you're convinced he needs we, to play short. We want him to get. But better. this whole thing of shifting him around. Oh man, he's going to learn how to play left field. Uh, oh, Jim wrote. Uh, today that he's played that he played spectacular shortstop. He played okay shortstop, and he's not. He managed to make most of the plays, even though some of them look like very shaky. He's he's not a smooth shortstop yet. He's a great athlete, but he's not a smooth shortstop. He needs to me. He needs all the work at shortstop he, he can get because uh, he's going to be your shortstop next year. Sure. So. Anyway, but you know what? But they, you know, I'd just as soon have Urschel playing third as him. 
I'm not I'm not dead set on him. Here's my question to you. Why is Jose Miranda still here? Don't know. It's, Don't know. I feel bad for him. Yeah, I do. He got a hit the other day. Yeah. Uh, He's, I think, seven for 60 yeah. with 13 strikeouts. Well, he won't swing. No, I know. He won't swing the bat. But why is he here? He thinks he's Joe Maurer. I keep Strike hearing, one. who right else is going to play first base if Ar- Arise? Ooh, anybody. Yeah. Louis Arise. Ursula. Yeah, anybody. Miranda's no good at first. No. He's a third baseman. No. Some of, that's that's the best plan I've heard. They should they should have Lewis play first base. Okay, yeah. Let's take one of our two best athletes and put him at the position where it doesn't make any difference if you're an athlete or not. And you know what? Louis Arise is fine. That's what I was going to say. And here's the thing. And Every say, day. And if you're going to catch Jeffers, instead of wasting the DH on uh, Sanchez, let Sanchez play first base. They're going to get caught, by the way, not having a, oh, they're gonna another lose catcher. Yeah. They're going to be. Oh, Gardy's going to be at home ripping his hair. Yeah, off. all right. Gardy's running. How could they do that? I can't play Joe Maurer today because Mike Redmond's playing and he's my only other catcher. What do you think? That's one can't of the, do that. That was one of the most fun, paranoid things oh, ever. Oh, yeah. And then it's the third catcher when he had to have yes. the third catcher, you know. And it would be some guy that couldn't do anything right. Yeah. Well, the tradition of Tom Kelly was you had to make sure your backup catcher couldn't hit. <laughs> You know, Tom Nieto or something. It had to be somebody who couldn't hit. Yep. And it took him a long time to get on the Harper bandwagon. Oh, God, yeah. Because he was too good a hitter. Yep. (laughs) He can't be a catcher. He's too good a hitter, damn it. And they had all those veterans. Uh, Prince came through here. Nieto, Blanco. Yeah. They, like, picked up every guy that came on the waiver wire. They picked up Henry Blanco, and then Maurer got hurt opening night and played 35 games that year. Blanco played the rest of them, basically. And we never worried about getting him off his feet. Oh, is that when Sal Butera came back? When when Joe got hurt and then Blanco? Sal Butera? Yeah, Sal. Sal. No, Sal came back in 87. Oh, that's right. What am I thinking of? Jeez. Sal was well, here who at, the, came back, at Met Stadium. Who came to ha- back up Henry in uh, 03, Joe's first year? I wonder who. who I, was, I, I can can't find remember. it. I don't can't remember. remember who their other catcher was that year because Henry was, Henry was here to catch. That 20, period's all kind of a blur to me. Henry right, was on. here to catch 25 games and then. Uh, and then he got Joe. 2003, got, right? Yeah, 2003. I was just going to say. Joe got that. hurt opening day. played 35 games. I think. Yeah, he tore the meniscus? Yeah, first day. It was slipped on the uh, wonderful metronome uh, turf there. Oh, yeah, the warning track. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so I'm looking at 2003 stats. Three stats. Catchers, Tom Prince, 38 Okay, that's games. when they brought Prince Rob, in. Rob Bowen. Yeah. Um, Perzinski. Wait, no, no, no. This had to be 04 that Joe came up, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. What am I thinking of? Perzinski still Oh, yeah. Oh, Joe, Joe was 04. Yeah, Perzinski was traded after 03. Yeah, That's because that was the famous. I'm off by a year. All yeah. right. Uh, Blanco, <laughs> Blanco, 114 games. Not concerned about him being no. on his feet. And and who? Maurer ended up in 35 games before he, or so he missed a uh, Pat Borders. Oh, it was Pat briefly, Borders who played for yeah, Toronto. We thought he could get some hits, but he he was Pat Borders as a catcher was a pretty good hitter. Yep, but he, he, he was, was another guy who changed positions, and they made him a catcher. He was a World Series winner, though. Right? He was, he yeah. Was way back he was pretty good on those teams. So he had to be two eighty six up here. He had to be a crusty old veteran by then, right? Forty one. Forty one. Forty one years <laughs> wow. old. God, did they have some I would have never guessed that he was on that team. Never guessed on that team. So we probably didn't uh, get much golf out of you yesterday. I watched Watching. the I watched the end and the 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 meltdown was incredible. De- Declan was glued to it. Declan, yes, sir. What a collection I know. of mutts! <laughs> yeah, God, they it's played a great way to Look at it. Zalatoris wanted to shoot seventy eight yesterday, mm-hmm. where he hit the ball, but he got a few breaks. Yep. I mean, when you hit it under the bush where there are animals. Yep. You shouldn't end up making bogey. They should by automatically, you know, you shouldn't be able to go drop it someplace <laughs> 50 yeah. yards from where you're, uh, where you're, um, you know, went in the first place. God, they played terrible. Yeah. All of them. And then as bad swings in major golf go, the one the leader hit on 18 was unbelievable. Oh, it was terrible. He stumbled. He, why was he trying to hit it 350? 
Why no, didn't I he guess. hit it 270 I think down his the heart middle? was pounding out of his shirt. Yeah, well, he was completely psycho. He was just taking, and he ran up there. When he got to the tee box, he ran up there and put it in play before he, you know, vacated his bowels or some damn thing. He was so terrified. God, it was unbelievable. Well, even the, uh, the chip to get on the green. Was terrible. Was horrible. Yeah, I've, I've, I have flushed better ones than that. Yeah, for God's he had to make this one. Oh, he was, he was completely gone. He now the play before he damn near made that uh, the hole before he almost made that putt. That yeah, uh, I mean that was the only good shot he hit in about the last three four round holes. But God, what a collection! And then JT's JT wanted to kill himself. Yep. After missing the putt on 18, he looked oh, like yeah. his whole family yes. had died. And then he ends up in the playoff. He said, what the hell? Talk about a gift. I was on, you know oh. what I noticed? Another thing. What's that? And JT's another example. Every time one of these really good golfers, mm-hmm. fiance shows up. Yep. She's always a pretty good looking girl. You think? You think? You think that's just by coincidence? What do you think? Oh, I think it's just, yeah, happenstance. You know what it is? I don't want to get true to... love. No physical attraction <laughs> no, at all. No, it's true no. love. She had the personality that uh, convinced me, damn it. Uh, and this was another young, attractive lady. And, uh, you know, they, but a lot of these golfers, too, they don't get married till they're 28. You know what I 30, feel that we don't see in golf? 30, from, 32. From that t- type of thing. I don't feel like we see, e- even mom and dad aren't really big. I feel no, like golf. Yeah, I feel, yeah, right. You don't get the chunky. Bottom. They're all sort of they don't fit. Get the chunky. Parent, yeah, like parents. dad. Like dad parents. doesn't waddle out there. No. You know. I feel like the parents are ordinarily in yeah. good shape and look to be extremely rich. It's interesting how lumpy got lumpy because Carson was a you know just a yeah a great player, normal sized fellow, wonderful guy. So, uh, but yeah, you're right. They uh, they uh, but they're uh, you know they're always yeah, they're, TV is more. TV is TV golf is kind of the last of the places where you got the perverted cameraman always showing you shots of the good-looking girlfriend, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. you know, in, in football and baseball, it used to be that way. But oh, then God, I think yeah. I think they got shut down, right? Yep. From from doing that. Uh, One night football used to be a series of that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. With with I think uh, thank yous paid after the <laughs> telecast. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we we kind of but golf still, you know, it's it's a leisurely day and right. Although usually not in, not on every hole, you know, like they No, but there's a lot be. of time to show stuff. Yeah, yeah, there. Like is. you're looking That's for right. things. That is. And uh I was glad Justin Thomas won because none of the other guys deserved to. You know, he's the only so guy what that, happened, he's the only guy that played good on Sunday. So what what happened to the top players? Thank God. Where were they? Zalatars had never won. Oh, oh, this. No, no, no. Rom, in this tournament, where yeah, were the top Rom players? Rom and those guys. Yeah, the guys we talked about last week. Uh, it, they have really tricked up that golf course. It's, yep. uh, it's, uh, they got some funky stuff going on that wasn't there before. And some of the greens looked extremely small to me. It's an the old PGA course. is ordinarily not that tricked up, no, right? They, but they, yeah, the they have gotten there in the last few years. They're, Interesting. They're, they're playing them tough again. And uh, you know the the secret is uh, rough. That's uh, if you got you know if you grow the rough and you make them hit a if you and the other thing that they're all doing now to these golf courses is giving them runoffs. So you look at these greens, okay, and you say, well, he's going to hit the green, but you got to hit about a yep. a three yard area of the green, otherwise it's going to run here, run there, yep. run there. The the secret of success to protect the golf courses is not a lot. And you can't get that Wednesday rain. You can't get that four inch rain on Wednesday that, uh, that softens up the greens and keeps them soft. Cause if you can get the greens hard, then you can protect yourself because they, they are, they are, they're trying to hit the puck, hit the ball to such small areas. The other thing is, what was that? Uh, what was the par five, Declan? Six forty. Yes, six forty. Yeah, six forty. And uh, one of the par, one of the par fours was five forty. Yeah, five forty. So they're they're just. It used to be you couldn't have a par four over five hundred yards. Right. But now they're saying, "The hell with you guys! If you're going to hit it, yep, three eighty, we're going to." Do players complain about 
this or do they? Not really, because they know if they complain how they're going to come off as whiners. Yeah. But they used to. Every U.S. Open, they complain about something. But uh, Oh, yeah. But they, that's where I'm used to it. Well, the open with the U.S. Open too. It's always about narrow fairways and fescue. I remember, yeah, gravity, yeah, you know, big, right. yeah, or or you know. But I thought that was supposed grass. to be the yeah. tough tournament. The reason Tiger Woods can once maybe once again compete at Augusta if he gets healthier is, and he's 45, so he probably can't. But they have no rough, mm-hmm. so there's not, you know, they're. You can miss a fairway and you can, you know, the trees aren't that far away, but you can. Yeah. When you miss a fairway at the U.S. Open or the PGA, you're you're hitting it out of the garbage. Now, St. Andrews would be a good spot for them, too, because if the wind doesn't blow, the winner will be 20 under. If the wind blows, the winner will be four under. (laughs) You know, it's all, those golf courses are all based on whether the. Tiger going to play in both tournaments now? I don't think he'll play in the U.S. Open. What do you think, uh, Declan? Uh, I don't think he's going to play in the Open. What do we got? What's, Where's the Oakland Open? The I, U.S. Open this year. I keep her forgetting. Oh, it's, well, the U.S. Open's in oh, August. Boss, it's at, uh, no, it's in July, right? Uh, this at, year, it's at, uh, no, the U.S. Open's August is in, oh, I'm looking at tennis. <laughs> yeah. Wrong one. It's in uh, June, U.S. Open it's in, is. It's in June. It's always in June. Yeah, Father's Day. It's at Boston. That's where it at, is. Uh, it's yeah. at the country. It's club. pretty quick is the point. He, he yeah. might play there because it's uh, not a long golf course or a grueling golf He was golf struggling course. by the end of this one, man. They're only going to let, I think, 20,000 people on because I, I covered the U, uh, the Ryder Cup at the country club in 99 <laughs> or 90, 99. 99 was the one. When we ran on the course. Yeah, it was brutal. The big comeback. Uh, and, uh, but the, it's an old, old, old golf, one of the original golf courses, if not the original, Sure. but the tees and the greens are right next to each other. So there's okay. no room for people. Mm-hmm. They, and they let an ungodly number of people on for the Ryder cup, but they're not going to. The Ryder cup thing is one of the, it was chaos. Oh yeah. Oh, it was. Uh, I remember watching it. It was complete chaos at the end. Uh, generally, you could go out to the Ryder Cup, and on Sunday you could see something because there'd be twelve matches going on. The rest of the time, it's just terrible because uh, you know you only got four matches going on at maximum at one time. Yeah, like you get all those like people. here, you couldn't see anything. In no, no, drunks. no, you couldn't. Yeah, and people didn't care if they see anything or not. I will say, Pat, uh, this weekend was the perfect example because all I heard going into this weekend or going into the PGA Championship was, "All right, he's he's finally gotten his game back. He's had a nice couple finishes here. His Spieth is going to take it." Oh, and yeah. then Jordan Spieth was exactly who Jordan Spieth <laughs> is, man. It all comes down to his putting, and he was he he never was in contention all day. I'm actually surprised Rory did fall off as hard as he did he after can't the great opening round. Either he yeah. can't putt. Yeah. That's the reason he can putt some days, but he's not a uh, you know who told me this years ago? Corzo. Mm-hmm. Corzo said he'll never win the Masters because he can't putt, and it's a putting contest. And he's right; he can't. He's not a. He'll make a putt once in a while, but he's not a putter, Rory. And uh, you got to, you know, to win at Masters, you got to, you got to make putts for four days. You can't just make them for a day. So, same thing here. He's he still hits the ball as good as he oh, ever yeah. did. He just yep. can't. Uh, he just doesn't. Doesn't he's sitting in the middle of fairway, uh, 160 yards away, and he makes four way too often, <laughs> you know, yeah. instead of three. So he's, uh, but yeah, I guess everybody thought that this might that he might be playing at his best. But uh, Spieth, though, I watched him for a while the other day. Has he ever missed a putt where he didn't bitch? Yeah. Oh, well, he's bitching off the tee. Yeah. That's the best part. Yeah. Jordan, you've got to be better when he's just shaking one to the right. He doesn't he's, swear, right? No, he doesn't, but he'll yeah. talk. He talks he to should the, swear. the third person. You know what? He's going to talk swear. Yeah. Every putter, he goes, ah. Yeah. He's like, he's like Tom Watson only way earlier in his career. Tom Watson made every putt. Tom Watson was the greatest putter in golf history <laughs> until because he could always try to make every putt. Yep. Because if he had a four or five footer coming back, it was automatic. <laughs> and then he started missing some of those five footers coming back. Right. And then he got twitchy. And now he needs a damn, 
you know, a <laughs> thing with a, a golf club with a head on it the size of a broom to try to make a putt. Once he stopped making the five-footers coming back, then he had to let the ball waddle down towards the hole like everybody else <laughs> and didn't didn't make a, a you know, the secret of being great, and that's why Tiger was a great putter, because he never was worried about being five feet past the hole. Right. He made those, you know, he made those. People forget that, you know, we always talked about his massive distance and his determination. And all. I said, that guy was a putting SOB. That's, yeah. you know. I mean, God, he had he had some absurd putts. Yes, uh, that I mean, you know, that he missed by, yeah. by a cup. But just the way he still putts at 44 is absurd. Yeah. You know what I've noticed about him, and in this case, I'm not going to deny it that, that that he was hurting. But when Tiger had all his ailments, he kind of became like Gogo Gomez getting thrown out at second base. The agony, the agony increased was high as he was sure as he was making bogeys. And but yeah, I mean, I don't blame him for not playing. Sunday, he would have been, he would have shot 85 probably. So the way the golf course was set up on Sunday, he might have shot 85, but he didn't, he didn't belong here. He should have, he should have, you know, he was not ready to play that golf course. I wonder if he's getting a little bit, if he gets something for playing, especially from the network. Because just his, just his he, presence. I don't is think a, he has to, but his sponsors are certainly happy to have well, him. Well, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, there's got to be a financial payoff. And then if he pulls out now, he's 45. Isn't he doing the big Rolex commercial? Didn't I see him? With yes, the, I, the I believe. I, I oh, yeah, see? Big Rolex, and, yep. And poor yeah, Rolex, the only, the only watches you can sell anymore are collector's items, right? Yeah. I'm one of the, I don't have it on today. I don't wear as much as I used to. Don wears one. Most women of, wear them now. Most of the world doesn't wear them anymore. I don't need a watch. I've got a phone. I always, I wore one forever. But you know what? When I was a kid, younger, in my 20s, and and I didn't start wearing a watch probably until I was in my early 30s. For 10 years, I knew what time it was. Because I was, you know... I would wake up in the morning and when I wouldn't have to look. I'd know it. I'd go at seven twenty, and I'd be within five minutes. Really? I, you know, for some reason. But wow! Then I got a watch, and now I'm like, you know, what time is? I right. I, I don't know what you know, but you know. So you basically gave away this great gift you had of yes, being able yeah, to sense time I got a watch because because you got a watch. Yes. Yes. But those watches, man, used to be like the big watch. Mm-hmm. I never, I went to. The old man went, had a big I, I watch. I always tried for the small ones. I never went. Hit them on doors yeah. and stuff. Otherwise, the big ones, I, I went for Plus, you know what? Ones. Never present an opportunity to get robbed. Well, that's a new thing today. Hey! Here, at 70s, you could be walking down the street. I'm driving with the top down, down Plymouth today. No problem. Yep, waving, yep, to my, yep. waving to my friends. So yep. it was fine. It was nice. I, I trust my fellow man. I'm just saying, in the I 70s, you could get robbed, man. too. Oh, yeah. Downtowns weren't great in the 70s. Yeah, but, you know, uh, it, they, it was they funny. Weren't, they weren't. What were New we York watching? What, oh, we were watching the first episode of the Apatow's uh, documentary on uh, oh, George Carlin. I got, got to watch that. Watch the first two hours. The Apatow stuff's great. And uh, it, it brought us back to the, uh, I mean... The riots we're having now yep. are nothing compared to, I mean, there, there's, you know, there's some bad stuff going on and burning and stuff, but uh, there was some hell being raised oh, in God, Vietnam, the, man, in the, in the late in the 60s. 60s. Yeah, well, first what? the civil rights movements and then the, uh, yeah, and then the we, civil rights movement followed by the Vietnam War was, uh, that was a, See, I, that was a raucous period. Boy, I, I didn't watch the, I didn't watch his the second, it's the first one's two hours, so the whole thing must be four hours. Huh? The Shandling one's the same thing, really long and really good. Well, Shandling, I love. But Carlin had really gotten unfunny. Really gotten really? terribly unfunny. I got to watch this. At the end of the, the kind of, he, he was, uh, and, and then he had his comeback. But all he was like doing, he was he... doing all these word, you know, plays, yeah. peas, and stuff yeah. like that. Like and and, 70s and, and or Saturday when? night uh, was it SEC TV that did the devastating uh, 
uh, parodies of him that really hurt oh, him to the truck. SCTV did? Oh, God. Oh, I loved just, SCTV. Just lit him up about... Have you ever watched it? Oh, God, I loved SCTV. Yeah, the... Uh, what was the John... What was the... John Candy. What was the Flaherty character? Count... The, the count, count? Well, the count, but then there was the... Uh, Guy Caballero, the, yeah, old, Guy the Caballero. owner of Guy, SCTV who Guy, was in a wheelchair. Guy Caballero was one of the great characters of all time. Oh, SCTV was better than Saturday Night Live. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, it, it was, was far just, more consistent. Yeah, it was it originally came out of Canada, right? Did yes. it always come out of Canada? Toronto. Well, well, Second City was in like Chicago and stuff, but I think that that show itself came from Toronto. Mm-hmm. And Candy was up there, and Candy had the House of Pancakes, the 3D. <laughs> How about some pancakes? And, and then he'd extend them towards the camera to make it look like 3D. Oh, God. Yeah. The guy, uh, Flaherty's were. Uh, and, Eugene Levy was great. Yeah, Catherine yeah. O'Hara. Yeah. It was the, you know, it, it was an amazing. They ended up making all the Christopher Guest movies, too. With them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I forgot they they made fun of Carlin, though. I didn't. I don't think oh, I even knew. just like, who was guy? I must have missed that at the time. And who not, was getting Joe, no, it wasn't Piscopo. It was one of the famous ones. I can't remember. Just Lightning him. Did a devastating impersonation of a, what about, there's a, there's all these vegetables called peas <laughs> and stuff like this. And, it was, you know, I never was a huge fan of his. Mm-hmm. He's fairly funny, but uh, I, I, I don't know. It's, uh, you know, I was, he, he had to come back and he was pretty good with his comeback. But uh, it, 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 he, he certainly fit the times, you know, of when he started. But he, boy, he was really bad in the late. Well, and I didn't know that from, so at, at the start, though, he, he was like on comedy hours and he was pretty, it looked clean cut. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which is before my time. Yeah. Well, I mean, his big big break was the John Davidson. Oh, God. Vanilla, the most vanilla show in the variety. Back when we had all these. Everybody who had two hit songs and was a. Paul Williams, Variety Hour. Had the clean cut white image. Yep. Could get himself a variety show, and he was on the. He was the most ill-fitting guest on the John Davidson show. You and there have. was more coke done on those shows. Oh than God, you could yeah. shake a stick at. Yeah, his wife, who's uh, gorgeous now, later in life, and at least when she's being interviewed for this, was a hopeless alcoholic. She became, and she's admitting it, and to the point that they, she weighed eighty-five pounds, and they put her in the hospital oh, and thought she was going to die. Jeez. So, yeah, she was. That that daughter of his, uh, she grew up with some, the old man doing huge amounts of coke and uh, the wife being drunk all the time was uh, was uh, interesting. But it's yeah, Apatow stuff is uh, is uh, yeah. His Shanley, he has thing, such uh, an appreciation. I gotta watch that. I love it's Shanley. off. The, it's really long. It's off the charts. Good. Uh, Larry Sanders might be my favorite ever TV. The show. incredible thing is how tortured every one of these yes. guys. They are miserable human yeah. beings. Shandling was Shandling was miserable. Shandling, they always say, was playing himself. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Larry Sanders. Uh, Larry great. Sanders is Artie Rip Torn. Rip Torn was my favorite. Is uh, <laughs> the the assistant, the gay assistant, right? The, the, we went from the the woman assistant to the gay assistant. I, yeah, I vaguely remember. And, it's been a while since. And I've... and uh, and then they had the uh, the the the. the homophobic guy that kept insulting him and was going to sue him because the guy, the gay guy was going to sue the Larry's show for, for sexual harassment and Artie. And they, they put him in a room to try to, you know, to solve their problems. And they go in there and Artie opens the door and they're kissing, you know, they're like having this romantic kiss and, and, uh, Rip closes. Rip already closes the door and says, "I think they settled out of court." <laughs> he was already. That was, was one the, of the great. Artie was the greatest. What he used to tell you about his romance with Angie Dickinson and stuff like all these made believe. <laughs> and the guests who agreed to come on and play oh, yeah. the roles. Oh yeah. And then Larry, because you always think like when when they, they go to break that yeah. the host is saying something nice, be like you effing, you're full of them. <laughs> Oh yeah, they they would yeah be willing to make uh, you know great fun of each other. It's like it's like that six part uh, series that uh, Ricky Gervais did uh, on the extras. Extras <laughs> when they'd get you know they'd get 
Patrick Stewart came on as a complete, you know, almost pedophile, sexual maniac. Kate Winslet comes on and she's smoking and dressed up like a nun and she's smoking and scratching her crotch and <laughs> swearing everything to get to get them to uh, come on. And it, it's amazing what good sense of humor they have, you know, a lot of them. Yes. But, uh, anyway. What uh, sportsy uh, thing do we have? A twins is about it, huh? Yeah, well, twin, twins. It really golf. was a dull week. Twins. Well, I, I mean, there's some there's some great hockey, but it's not from the wild, so we don't care as much. And no, the basketball uh, games are actually the playoff games. Are, the basketball games are interesting because they're all twenty. The yeah. series are okay, but they're all twenty five blood. Oh, and Wiggy, Wiggy, Wiggy's playing. Wiggy's along. a monster. Let's stop giving Gerson Executive of the Year awards. Considering he left us with D'Lo and gave up a high draft choice. Wiggy's incredible when the pressure is not squarely on Wiggy. And I think, you know, you know what PJ would say? They have a good culture. Yep. Yeah, he would. We don't. Yeah. <laughs> At least not when he was there. He had, Absolutely. They, I mean, they got, I don't think, you know, Jimmy Butler's leadership way was to tell you what a complete, wussy you were right right pansy you were and uh you know right you're soft and abuse you yep i think curry and even damon will damon will say hey you know do this come on join the party yeah have some fun here and yeah and yeah uh, and that's a you know he's a he's you know he's the nice thing is he can have they can have a four he can be the best player in a court one game out of five and that's fine Right, mm-hmm. he was exactly. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't, he doesn't matter. Doesn't if, yeah, to, yeah, he, he doesn't have to carry. In fact, you go to one of their games and you, you and Wiggy goes twelve and four and mm-hmm. three, and you say, eh, okay, who cares? Here <laughs> was a big deal. You know, who's really helped that team is that Jordan Poole giving them a third guard to yes. go with. Uh, I mean, that guy's. They've done a very nice job of retooling guy. that roster. Yeah, yeah, they're probably going to win it. Although the. Uh, the Celtics. Will, the Heat uh, would be great fun, it. though, huh? Yeah, they'll win it. Butler against Wiggy in the NBA Finals. Oh, it would be. Wouldn't great. that be fun? Yeah, it would be. It would be. But I think Miami. I still think Boston's going to win the series. I, I think they're better. You know, Boston's right turnaround from what was the oh, oh, twenty game? games in. You had to get rid of the coach, and yeah, they, and Brad it Stevens. was impossible to play Brown yeah, and uh, Smart and uh, Tatum. Brown Tatum. and Tatum together. Yeah. And it was impossible because they played the same position. And yeah. If I was a columnist in Boston, like my friend O'Shaughnessy, I'm sure he said some columns that he had to eat from back then because he did quite a bit of Celtic stuff in his day. So, yeah, it is an amazing turnaround with a yep. European coach that we never, none of us ever heard a of. Nets assistant last season, yeah. I think. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. It was quite a hire by uh, 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 Brad Stevens mm-hmm. to uh, replace him, that's for sure. All right, sir. All righty. We'll talk to you next week. If you have questions about your retirement savings, do what I did and work with a person that knows what the heck is going on. Uh, Work with Josh Arnold, Mr. Money Talk. My guy, Josh, will give you straight talk and not sugar-coated advice. Learn how you can benefit from Josh's focused approach by setting up your own no-cost, no-obligation, 48-minute consultation to review your investments. Call Josh now, 952-925-5608.